0: hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the spaghetti fiction podcast My name is Alyssa and today I'm going solo because my co-host Richard has a busy schedule. Which, you know, it's kind of weird for me because I'm so not used to like talking for an hour straight. But fingers crossed that this turns out well. So today we are talking about the haunting of Sharon Tate. I made a poll on my Twitter and my Instagram, so thank you for the, to the four people who voted on that. I appreciate you, you guys are great. Uh, but when I made the poll, I put the murder of Shannon Tate instead of the haunting of Sharon Tate. I don't know what I was thinking. I don't know why I thought her name was Shannon. So I don't even know where to begin with this movie because there is just so much Uh, Before I get started, I would just like to say I am currently filming in my bedroom with a blanket over me, so I'm hoping that there isn't some other sounds going on. So if there is, I apologize. I'm trying my best uh, to figure out a better place to record without it sounding echoey or having too much background noise or anything like that. So yeah, so today we're talking about the... Haunting of Shannon Tate, and I'm gonna give a little bit of background. Basically, this movie is based off of the murder of Sharon Tate, and I have some some notes about her I looked up real quick. Sharon Marie Tate was born January 24th, 1943 in Dallas, Texas, and today so happens to be January 24th, so it, that's a weird coincidence because I didn't uh, know when I decided I was going to, to record today and do my notes and stuff, so that's great, I guess. So she was best known um, for being in a recurring role on the Beverly Hillbillies, and her first like film debut was in this movie called Eye of the Devil, which I believe was directed by Roman Polanski, who was her husband. Um, she was also in Valley of the Dolls and other movies. On August 8th, 1969, Tate was two weeks from giving birth, and the members of Charles Manson's quote-unquote family had broken into her house and murdered her along with four others in her LA home. So this movie is based off of the murders in a sense, Um, but I just... I don't really know how to feel about it. I feel... God, I just... I don't know. This movie really made me mad. Because I felt like it was super exploitative. And it was just very gross. And I wasn't... I'm just not happy with it. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not... I just don't feel like the director's intentions were in good conscience. I feel like, you know, he wanted to just make something based off of a celebrity's death. The 50th anniversary was August of last year, and this also came out in 2019, so I'm feeling that he probably did this because he wanted to bank off the fact that it was the 50th anniversary and he just did a piss poor job of every every aspect of the movie but we'll get into that in a little bit. And so, just to kind of give a little bit more background about the Tate-LaBianca murders, um, they were perpetrated by members of the Charles Manson family in Los Angeles, California. They murdered five people on August 8th through 9th, 1969, and two more the following evening. So, four members of the Manson family had invaded the rented home of actress Sharon Tate and movie director Roman Polanski. By the way, I am reading this off of uh, Wikipedia uh, verbatim, so um, I'm not gonna say the address of the place. I don't know why it's in this article. Um, But yeah, so they murdered Tate, who was eight and a half months pregnant, along with three friends who were visiting, and an eight-year-old visitor who was slain as he was leaving the home. Polanski was not present on the night of the murders because he was working on this film in uh, Europe. The murders were committed by Tex Watson, Susan Atkins, and Patricia Krenwinkel under the direction of Charles Manson. So, yeah, the two girls were like, I think they were the Manson girls, and then Tex was part of the family, I don't know. I don't really know too much about Charles Manson, I know what he did, um, but... I never was really that interested in looking too into him so I just never really tried to. This was a very real event that happened to real people and I just don't understand why you would want to make a movie kind of exploitating that in a way that's just so wrong. The fact that the movie was named The Haunting of Sharon Tate makes it seem like it's some sort of mockery to her murder. Making it seem like it wasn't a murder. She was being haunted by ghosts. And so it was really... Oh God, I just don't support this movie. I don't support the director. Um, and I just think it's fucking awful. But I'm going to give some movie de- uh, background. So it was directed and written by Daniel Farron, So we can blame him for this atrocity, looking at his IMDb page, he had um worked on some other horror type video movie things that he directed, um, based off of like successful horror movies. Like I seen one that had something to do with um the Amityville Horror, something that had to do with like some other um horror movie, and I feel like he's. Again, with these types of movies, not even reading about them, just seeing their names, it just gave me this sense that he was just doing this to bank off of things that that are very well known, that are famous or infamous or whatever, and it just gives me really bad vibes. And this movie, if you haven't seen this movie, and I don't recommend you see this movie, unless you want to be upset and bored for an hour and a half. So it starred Hilary Duff. I think this is the first time she was in anything for a while, for a few years. I'm not really sure. I know she had given birth to um, her baby, her child, a couple years ago. I'm kind of out of the loop with her, so I'm not really sure. Um, And the cumulative... Worldwide gross was wait for it, nineteen thousand seven hundred and seventeen dollars. Wow, that that just kind of speaks volumes to people like who would be interested in this movie, like not a lot, obviously. And also, from what I read on the IMD page, IMDb page was that it premiered in the United States and Mexico. So there wasn't even really like a national release because I'm guessing nobody really put a lot of money into this. So, um, you know, I don't really have any stories to say about this movie because it's relatively new. My first time watching it was actually earlier today. I did hear about it because I remember watching a couple of um, YouTube videos where people were discussing the movie and my mom had recently watched it and said it was awful. And so I had to watch it because I just needed to see how bad it was. And I know recently, so I know a few months ago that Quentin Tarantino's movie Once Upon a Time in Hollywood had come out. And it was kind of sort of based around um, Sharon Tate and the Manson family, but not really. It was more central centralized on uh, Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio's Uh, characters, but I feel like, say what you want about Tarantino and his movies, but I feel like he handled that subject matter a lot better than um, this Daniel guy did. I already forgot his last name, but it doesn't really matter. He is nothing to me. Um, But yeah, I feel like he handled that better because it wasn't really exploitative of her murder or anything. It was kind of like He was rewriting history so instead of uh Tex and the other two girls murdering Sharon and her friends in their home they broke into Leonardo's house or his character's house and they uh Brad Pitt's character ended up killing all of them and Brad Pitt's dog (laughs) so that was great And uh, yeah, so I feel like he handled that a lot more respectfully um, because, again, not really focused on her murder or or anything like that. And uh, I don't know if i already said this, but apparently this film was distributed by Lionsgate for some unknown reason. I'm not really sure. Uh, Jesus Christ, man, I don't even understand. I'm not even sure how to feel. And I'm not really sure what. Other movies like Lionsgate is definitely a um a well-known production company. Alright, so looking at Wikipedia for Lionsgate, looking at their highest grossing films. Okay, so looking at uh, the Wikipedia for Lionsgate under their highest grossing films, number one is actually the Hunger Games and that domestic growth or domestic gross, was $424 million. Compared to the $19,717 for the Sharon Tate haunting piece of shit. I just don't understand. So yeah, they churned out movies, all the Hunger Games movies. They had um, John Wick, La La Land, uh, all these films oh also it's uh, apparently they also did American Psycho so that's great um yeah so they had um Lionsgate has come out with a lot of films that you know have been have done well in the box office a lot of people enjoy them they have I wouldn't say a cult following but a huge following um and then I just kind of wonder why they decided to pick up this movie. What, what made them want this movie? What was so interesting about it? I guess because they wanted to try and get a cash grab off of the whole 50th anniversary as well, but because I, don't, I feel like nobody really knows who this Daniel guy is, right? Nobody's really going to care. People are more interested in the fact that Tarantino came out with a movie because Tarantino does actually have a huge cult following. So people are going to want to see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood more so than they're going to want to go see The Haunting of Sharon Tate. And I don't blame them. I would prefer to go watch Once Upon a Time in Hollywood as well because it's good. So I'm going to go ahead, for those of you who have not watched this movie or have not really heard about it, I, I will go ahead and, and kind of go through the plot. Uh, I'm going to read some of it off of Wikipedia. Already just reading this first line that I just read watched i just read i'm so fucking confused how they got that out of the first the opening of the of the of the movie i just don't understand okay in august 1968 actress sharon tate tells a journalist about a nightmare she had in which she and her friend jay Sebring had their throats slashed inside her home in los angeles one year later, a pregnant Sharon is spending time at the residence with Jay, her friend Abigail Folger, and Abigail's boyfriend, Volchek Frikowski. I don't know if I said that right, I just know that he's a Russian man. Sharon's husband, Roman Polanski, is in Europe shooting a film. And so that night, while the group are socializing, Volchek answers the door, and there were two unknown persons who were asking if some guy lived there. I don't remember his name, doesn't matter. Um, I'm not even going to be reading this verbatim. I'm just going to use it as a guideline to help me remember what I just watched because I was so fucking bored. And so the following morning, Sharon and her friend Abigail go for a walk. They encounter two strange women who are kind of just like giggling and laughing at them. And it kind of makes Sharon feel uneasy. And so they end up uh, walking back towards their house. But then they see Sharon's pet dog dead alongside the trail and then back inside the house Sharon discovers um, a bunch of what are they called these folders or um, little packages the orange packages that have like these names written on them and one of them says Charles uh, and apparently they were left behind by the resident's former owner a music producer I didn't know that I'm, I don't know what the hell's going on and so you know Spooky stuff ensues later on. She starts freaking out. There's random noises that are making her feel uneasy. She walks into the kitchen. uh, And then we see a woman staring at her through a window. Very spooky. And then she... It just kind of keeps going on. Her friends and her talk about some more stuff. Then she goes back to sleep. uh, Has a dream. A very vivid dream. And I don't even want to spoil this. Because I want to talk about it later where she and her friends are murdered. Cool, yeah. Uh, And then she meets up with this dude who was living in a trailer on her property that she didn't previously know about. And she went to him, went with the tapes that she had found with the names on top of them. That's what was in those packages. Sorry, I'm really bad at this, I know. Uh, And then they were listening to it. He turned it, he made it play backwards, and it said Helter Skelter over and over again. And I was like, oh, spooky. I know, like, it's crazy and scary, right? Like, some psychological horror. Amazing. And so she keeps getting these, like, weird hallucinations, like, she keeps thinking that she sees that guy that she went to side the trailer of, dead in his car, and then she thinks that she sees, like, this dead, like, rodent in her fridge, and she's, like, freaking out at the people that are house-sitting for her, or staying with her, and, like, thinking that they're, like, involved in this, and she, they're gonna kill her, and all the shit, and they keep trying to get in contact with her husband, Roman, and they can't get an answer, and then finally, finally, this is the quote-unquote climactic part. Charles Manson and the Manson children or whatever come into her house, and they brutally murder everyone. Everyone. Who could have seen that coming? I know I couldn't. You know, with the insane dream from earlier of her seeing all of her friends get killed, and then she dies. Oh my God, like I just could not, I couldn't. I thought that was, yeah, I don't know. I think this is just a movie filled with twists and turns, and oh my God, a cinematic masterpiece. That's for sure. And so apparently uh, Volchek drowns one of the girls. Uh, and then, what's her face? Sharon, ends up running away, and, and then they just like kill everyone. I guess that's what the part that was really confusing to me. I didn't really understand the ending. Apparently, they killed the Manson people, and then at dawn, the group approached the house. They observe the crime scene. They're shocked to observe observe their own corpses and their conquering of the Manson's followers was merely an imagined alternate possibility. And so now they're in the afterlife and they walk away from the house, sharing, holding the child she did not give birth to. And that, my friends, the ending, is another reason why I feel like this movie is kind of gross, you know what I mean? I don't understand that, I think that's disgusting. Going on by the title alone, when you hear something called a haunting of, you usually think it's gonna be something paranormal, like spirits or a poltergeist or some sort of demon or, or whatever is like trying to like haunt these people and, and, and whatever. And so I just think that's a kind of a weird uh, title to use about a movie where they're not really even being haunted. Um, I guess the closest you could come to is the fact that she's having these weird premonitions or dreams or hallucinations, but that's not really a haunting or anything. So I don't really get it. I don't get the title. I think it's disgusting. I think it's stupid. Um, what else is there to say about the title itself? I'm gonna go like beat by beat by this movie and kind of read and expand on some of the notes that I took as I was watching this. I only watched this once. I refused to watch it twice. I got so bored. I don't give a fuck about re-watching it again. These are the notes you're gonna get for me and, and I hope you guys can settle with that. So it took about a minute for us to get to some of to like the first I don't even want to call it a scene of the movie because it was nothing but us seeing logo after logo of production companies and it was these some of them were just like regular logos like you'd see and then you know how like Blumhouse has the uh has that logo where it's like a mini miniature like scene or something. They had like two of those, which is fucking stupid in my opinion because like I there's no I could I could this could be an entirely different episode or something that I talk about where I think these types of logos are a waste of time and they're stupid. Uh I don't think you need to put that much effort into a logo like I don't give a fuck about your mini movie. So yeah, it took one minute to get into the actual film and then we start off with a with an Edgar Allan Poe quote. Okay. Okay. And then we see Sharon Tate, or Hillary Duff playing Sharon Tate, and it's just like black and white. It's kind of um, it's the the film, it looks like it's kind of grainy and I'm guessing According to the Wikipedia, she's being interviewed by a journalist, but it's not really stated what who, that she's being interviewed. I guess it kind of looks like it's an interview, but it just wasn't really, like, portrayed in that way, and it was kind of close-up of her. The camera movement was kind of shaky, and it wasn't, like, bad shaky, like, handheld. It was, like, you know, in, like, some scenes where it's, like, we got to do, like, the steady cam and, like, move it around, and I get that, but I feel like for this in particular, there was no need for it, um, and then she just... Starts talking and then I hear the accent or 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 the way that I guess that Sharon Tate spoke. I'm not really sure, but it did not sound good. I don't understand who she was trying to be. It did, It sounded awful. I hated it. It did not sound great. Um, and then we see some kind of weird B roll over her talking about uh, the the murders, the murder dream that she was having, um, and we just keep seeing like like exposition shots of her house and like we get it that's where you fucking live like we understand that why do we have to keep seeing it uh and then they kind of just after that that's done they're done interviewing her and then there's just like the sequence of them walking through or restaging the crime scene of the murders the LaBianca tate murders and we get like close-ups of some of the bodies and just like around the house and it's like Okay, cool, we get it. Like, people were murdered. You can definitely tell this man was just trying to stretch it out as much as he could to get it to be as long as he needed it to be. And I just think, you know what? I think it's so fucking classy to do recreations of the crime scene. I think that's just fucking cute. So fucking cute, great. I don't understand why they had to start with this scene. Um, there really is no context. And then we finally get to Sharon and some dude driving in a car up to the house. And we're about 10 minutes in, almost 10 minutes in at this point, where we hear the first piece of dialogue. And I didn't write down the first piece of dialogue because it was just something about she wanted to get inside of her house. The note that I did write down for that was the fact that I don't know what was up with the audio exactly. It didn't sound bad. Like it sounded crisp, clean. Um, but I feel like there was some sort of slight, like the voice was kind of off from the mouth movements, but like maybe by a frame or two. So you just, you you could barely tell, but there was just something wrong, or maybe it was just too crisp for the, the camera. I don't know, there was just, I'm not an audio person, I'm not really sure, all I know is there was something off about it, and I just, it sounded, it was off to me. Oh, yeah, and before we even get to them in the car, they were showing archival footage of Charles Manson and the murders, and so it wasn't just a recreation of the tr- cu- the crime scene, it was like, we were actually seeing, like, the, um, like, the news segments of, of the murders and stuff like that and so I'm kind of wondering okay am I watching a film or am I watching you know a documentary I'm, I'm very confused here like this this archival footage in my opinion is so unnecessary unneeded especially when you're trying to establish a story because you're inevitably giving away the ending and I get it we already know what happened to Sharon Tate and um the others but like if you're not everybody knows of Charles Manson or, or knows uh, enough about him, I guess, if that makes sense. Like, they don't really, like, they know of Charles Manson, but it's like they don't really know about Sharon Tate and stuff. And so when you name it The Haunting of Sharon Tate, it has nothing to do with Charles Manson and title. Nobody's going to know unless, you know, they remember that happening or, or whatever. They're like a true crime person, right? Um, so what's the point of, like, setting up this quote-unquote exposition? I can't even, I don't even want to call it exposition. It's just a bunch of filler content in my opinion i just don't feel like there was any point in showing it you know what i mean and then we also get a a close-up of dead pregnant sharon tate fucking classy awesome oh yes and throughout there's so many title screens that pop up uh that's like three days earlier two days earlier one year later and it's like all within that first 10 minute scene or or just the first 10 minutes of the movie and it's just so unnecessary and boring and stupid it's it's not really boring it's more It's actually really annoying to see that. I just don't like it. And, uh, you know, with that being said, so far in this film, there's no cohesiveness to it. There's nothing that's really being said. Oh, yeah. And then we get the appearance of her friends. Whatever his name was, I already fucking forgot. The Russian guy. He sounds like an idiot. He just sounds so fucking stupid. I I don't even know if this guy's actually Russian. The Russian accent sounds kind of dumb. Um... And he's kind of cringy to me. I don't think any of these people are great actors. And the dialogue is just so fucking boring. And it's so obvious. Most of the time, a majority of this movie is just Sharon and her friends sitting around talking about, um, do you think that there is... uh, That we're in control of our own destiny or things are lined up for us and things are going to happen to us or, or whatever which is kind of like setting up the ending and it's like so fucking obvious none of this dialogue none of the writing is nuanced there's nothing interesting about it we don't even really get that much of a setup of the characters it's kind of like oh yeah they're friends and they're staying and they're watching the house oh yeah it's Sharon Tate her she's she does something yeah we don't even really have anything expressed about like what her career is and what she does and what she likes we we just know that she's pregnant she's married to some guy named roman polanski you know and she's having these hallucinations and she might be crazy <laughs> yeah and in in my notes i just put this too much fucking talking because there really is and so in the next scene we have them sitting down playing this game and i don't know what it is it's like it seems like it's supposed to be a ouija board but it's like this little ball and you spin or you ask a question and you're like spinning the ball around on the little uh this little thing that has like numbers and and letters and like a yes no thing and they're like well will sharon have a beautiful baby girl no they're like i knew it i knew you'd have a boy and then they somebody else asks or sharon asks well i have a beautiful long life and she starts rolling the thing right but then all of a sudden somebody's been is starting to knock on the door and we get a close-up shot of the board game in the ball stopping on the no and then her friend abigail looking at the board game looking up at her like oh no this is not good and then we get the appearance of our antagonist but we don't even really see what he looks like you know so it's backlit we see, like, the shadow of the body. We hear him ask a question. The Russian dude is like, no, this dude does not live here. And the dog is just, like, barking and then runs out the door and then leaves. And it's, like, great. And then he walks out the door trying to chase after the dog. And then we see the man walking to the car. Everything is backlit. You hear this, like, duh, 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 like music. And it's, like, okay, we get it. We're supposed to tell that. You know we're he's he's the bad guy we fucking get it there's no need to to hold our hands through this we understand, uh, but apparently we as an audience is stupid, or at least people just don't know how to write and yeah and so by now we're twenty minutes into this, fucking movie this is twenty minutes in. Do we, do any of you understand what what's going on so far? Do any of you are any of you engaged? Are you interested? Do you think this is like, great? According to the how I'm explaining this and what I've I've told you so far, would you want to see this movie? I would hope not. And so far, like in this, it seems like the sound design is besides the little weird dialogue thing at the beginning of, with Sharon in the car. The the sound design is actually pretty decent. Um, I think the for the most part, the music choices that they used were pretty pretty good. Um, I can see where they were going for with the sound dis- with the music design. But I just, it didn't really elicit any feelings from me besides I was just bored. I can't even laugh at this movie. It's just boring. And then, so we get to that night where um, Sharon is asleep, right? This is the part where the sound design's kind of weird to me, as well as the other part. She's like waking up in the middle of the night, she's laying in bed, tossing and turning, and then all of a sudden we hear who I'm guessing is Abigail, and the Russian dude upstairs having sex, right? And that just kind of starts happening. I guess that part was faded in, and we just kind of hear it. And then it just cuts off. You know, there's you don't hear anything after that, which is kind of weird. Like, why would you just have that in there and not have, like, any other noises upstairs of them kind of, like, moving around and stuff that you can kind of hear? Because if you can hear them having sex, you should be able to hear them, you know, maybe getting off the bed to go pee or something like that. But I guess, you know, in movies, people don't use the restroom, you know, unless they're being killed in the restroom or something. And then she just starts hearing these noises. Like, the, I think her window is, like, randomly opening. And at this point, I'm wondering, okay, is there supposed to be, like, a ghost here? Uh, like, what's happening? And then she walks downstairs. And, and this is where we get to those tropey tropes of, like, a jump scare. Where she hears something and she opens up the fridge and it's just her ice maker. And then, you know... Right behind her is a big window. She moves away from the window and we see somebody standing behind the window. And it's not even like, the way that it's done, it's like so, I don't even know how to explain it. I just think it's awful. We get the, the trope of the ice scaring her. The person in the window uh, kind of looking at her and I guess disappearing. The There's knocking on the door and, and nobody's at the door. and The dog is just barking at nothing. All of that in the span of three minutes. Truly truly you know just fucking great like I am genuinely surprised that they managed to throw in that many tropes in that little of time that's an art my friends that is an art to do that and not even make it impactful it's just kind of there like okay And so the next day, Sharon and Abigail are going for a walk on the trail, like I said earlier, and then that's when we get to the the Manson girls, and they're just kind of looking at her. And, like, the editing throughout that was also just super fucking weird, too. Like, it was just, like, cut, cut really stupidly. Like, why are we seeing their faces again when we don't need to? And that's, like, something I have an issue with with this film. It wasn't edited very well. Like, they're putting in unnecessary, like, shots of people and, and just kind of like I just hated it I thought it was just super fucking lame and that also goes with the part where she stumbles upon her dead dog like we keep getting this these weird close-ups of the dog back and forth between close-up of and close-up of the dog but like really fast and like too many cuts to the point and we see like maggots like eating out of like a part of the dog which i'm guessing is like some sort of wound and it's just like back and forth back and forth and the cuts are so quick it's so f- it's so many of them and it's just awful to watch it's just like ugh, god it's not just because it's gross because it's like dude just it is gross but it's like it, it makes me nauseous to 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 have that fast of cuts you know what i mean and i just don't i don't i don't like it and that's another trope that they have is the dog dies you know oh yeah yeah we have to have a dog dead you know, I guess it's a good thing that there were no black people in this movie because that they would have been dead too. Um, which brings me to my next point. <laughs> There's no diversity in this movie, but I guess there really wouldn't be if it's based off of the murders because I'm guessing they were all white. I'm not really sure. Again, I don't know about, I don't know. I'm just guessing here, but yeah, it's just like in every, and when she was crying, it looked so, her crying looked so forced. And like the faces she was making were so forced. And it's like she just didn't give a fuck about this fucking movie. And I don't blame her because it is a piece of shit. But God, I just, it made it even harder to watch. And then we kind of cut to her all of a sudden sitting in her backyard. She's really upset and quiet. And then the the Russian guy comes up in this part. I love this part so much because he's standing off to the corner with his hands um you know clasped at the front or whatever he's looking off to the side and he looks so fucking like dramatic and serious and he goes we found a spot in the garden and jesus christ the way he said that was so fucking funny to me the only part i laughed at just because you you need to go watch it for yourself it's fucking stupid that was the only laughable thing. The rest of it was just piss poor. <laughs> and again, with the camera work throughout it was just pretty awful. You know, usually when you're doing stuff like that, it's on a, a, a dolly or a Ronin, and I'm guessing that's what it was. It probably was on a dolly, um, but there isn't a need for having shots like that all the time. Like just invest in some, you know, tripods, go on google and look up their rule of thirds and look up different shop types because there's no need for this camera movement all the time because it i feel like i'm on a boat and everything's just constantly moving and i feel seasick Do, does that make sense I, I don't know if i'm making sense but like it just it doesn't really work well with every single shot and scene of this movie like there there's certain moments where you know using a shaky or, or moving kind of camera thing makes sense and and works really well but then there's times where you need it to be steady and still and you know i just don't like that they did that i feel like the person and the cinematographer just kind of didn't really know what was going on and he wasn't really getting much of a direction from the daniel person and i'm feeling like that's true and he just kind of did his own thing was like okay well i'll just like do whatever i want then and that's why everything just looks like that and they just set up so much throughout this movie to make it obvious like what's gonna happen and there's no nuance to it there's no okay well i wonder what's gonna happen they they're laying it out for you they lay all of it out for you like we're a bunch of idiots and it kind of takes out the mystery of the movie it takes out us wanting to like figure it out for ourselves i personally when i watch um Movies that are like psychological thrillers or stuff. I like to sit there and kind of try and figure out like what's going on And I kind of had to do that with this movie, but not in a good way I don't mean that in a good way for this movie But the other movies I like personally doing that a lot because it's like you're you're learning along with the main character but We don't get that here. And then she goes on to say another kind of uh, spiel again about uh, Do you think we're slaves to our destiny? And it's like, okay, we fucking get it with the dialogue. You're worried about the end of your life or whatever. I'm not really sh- There's no establishment of these characters, the protagonist, the antagonist, the setting, the exposition. The exposition wasn't really an exposition. It was just like, you meet one, two people and that's it. And they're just kind of hanging out. And that's, we just don't, We there's no depth to these characters. We don't get to know them. We're not rooting for them. I don't even, I don't even know really how to describe this movie besides boring, and there was a lot going on in there, in this hour and a half, but also there was really nothing going on, if that makes any fucking sense, because, I don't know, if any of you have already watched this movie, could you please explain to me what the hell is happening here, and explain to me how this is a cohesive story, and whatever else, I don't know, I just don't get it. And so at this point, she has the nightmare that she's being brutally murdered alongside her friends. I honestly thought that was the actual murder at first. And I think that you're supposed to feel that way, right? Because we're only like 48 minutes into this film and she's already getting murdered and it, go, it lasts for way too long. And then she just kind of wakes up and it's like a jarring to see her getting murdered and all of a sudden she's awake. But then throughout while she's uh, waking up and screaming for her friend for Abigail to come in we still see the shots of her getting murdered friends and the killers and stuff and it's just I guess they're trying to elicit like she's still partly asleep and partly awake like she's still kind of in the nightmare but also awake but it just came off as like random to me and I didn't really like it. And also the way that the the, the scene of the, the nightmare murder was edited was super fucking choppy and fast. You you don't really see what's going on. You don't really know what the hell's happening. You just hear a bunch of people like being stabbed and like people screaming. And again, it's the whole like seasick thing that I have. It's like, I don't, I'm, I'm so confused at what I'm looking at. I don't know what's going on. Everything is shaky. I feel like I'm gonna throw up. I don't understand and then we see like the blood coming out of them they're being stabbed and honestly it looks kind of fake and I kind of wanted to laugh at that but I couldn't even laugh at that and yeah I was really fucking confused when when she when she woke up it was so fucking awful and then so she finally goes to the guy and they're talking about the helter-skelter thing and I'm like okay we fucking get it you like Charles Manson like, honestly, I feel like this dude, Daniel, has just got a fucking thing for Charlie Manson. Like, And then the ending again, like I had said earlier, is very confusing to me because they end up killing these people, right? But they actually didn't kill Manson, the Manson family, or part of the Manson family. They didn't even kill him. They have this whole thing. It's like fucking Twilight where it's like, oh, this shit happened, but it didn't actually happen but it happened but this is this they did this shit twice in this movie you go through the whole fucking vampire war thing to only to find out that it didn't fucking happen and then the same shit here it's so fucking stupid i don't understand i hate it i fucking hate this movie i fucking hate this movie also the fact that we see the ending where the the cops are there and the press is there right but it's the film, the the clips on the end of the film are slowed down and it doesn't make sense with the frame rate because the frame rate, it's all choppy, it looks bad, it looks so unprofessional. Like, I don't understand how uh, a company like Lionsgate could pick up this movie and think, okay, well, that's fine. I can forgive that. I can't forgive it. If I were a production company like Lionsgate or Universal or whatever, I would not be picking up these piece of shit movies. I would watch them. I would be like, all right, the editing sucks. The story sucks. There's no development of the story or the characters or anything like that. There's nothing going on in this movie. And I thought I was angry when watching Birdemic, but I'm angry now. I'm angry now. Yeah, overall, I... I think this movie uh, is very exploitative of Sharon Tate's murder. I think that it was done in poor taste, that I, I honestly feel that the script and everything was very rushed, or the writer and director just don't know how to write movies. I have never heard of Daniel Farah, whatever, before. I've never heard of any of his other movies or, or shorts or whatever they are. Um, and apparently he is working on another movie called The Murder of Nicole Brown Simpson, which again, is something else that is very exploitative and not something that needs to be filmed. or or. And, and judging by uh, this movie, The Haunting of Sharon Tate. I have a feeling that he's going to fuck with it in the same way, and and be very uh, disrespectful towards the family of of um, Nicole Brown Simpson, and you know from what I had heard and and read a little bit about uh, the murder of Sharon or the haunting of Sharon Tate, Sharon Tate, sorry, that. Her sister, I believe it was her sister Deborah, was very unhappy about the movie being made. She tried to tell Daniel, like, I don't really appreciate you making this movie, I I would hope that you win it. Uh, I don't want you to to put this movie out, I think it's very exploitative. I feel like it's very uh, disrespectful. And then on the flip side we have Tarantino, who actually I believe, and don't quote me, I could be wrong. I honestly could be wrong. But I believe what I had read was that she that he had talked to Deborah and had told her, Oh, well, I would like to to have a part of with her in it. Um, and it won't be disrespectful, I won't be exploitative of it, it's not gonna be really focused around her. Uh and then Deborah was like, Okay, and I guess she's he invited her out to the premiere of the movie and she liked it. But again, this is all something that I believe I read. Don't take my word for it. I'm not really sure. But yeah, I just feel like this is a, this is just an awful movie. I wish that he didn't make it. I wish that he would not do this to to people who are dead. Um, I, I I don't really know much about Sharon Tate. I really haven't really I haven't really watched anything by her. I I know I've seen I know I've seen some things, uh, some episodes of Beverly Hillbillies and things like that. And I'm sure she was a wonderful, kind, sweet woman. Uh, And from the photos I've seen of her, I think she's very beautiful. And it's such, you know, it's so horrible to hear about what happened to her. And, and, And I think it's disgusting that Charles Manson and his dumbass followers were committing these murders it, it was gross i hated i hate him i hate his followers and i really hate daniel for making this fucking movie because there's nothing to be gained from this movie except i'm just angry and those are my thoughts on the movie that's it that's all i have to say uh i'm gonna give a couple of pieces of trivia that i found on imdb so the first one was Hillary Duff had completed filming in two weeks. Two weeks, guys. Two fucking weeks. That makes so much sense to me. I feel like she just kind of sped through it, didn't give a fuck, didn't want to be there for two weeks, and I don't blame her. I don't fucking blame her. Another one is many scenes were meant to be played normally but had to be slowed down in order to bring the movie to its featured length. Example of a movie that had no substance and that was not long enough to be a feature-length film, feature length film. So why make it? Why even try to make it a feature-length film? You don't have enough substance because how much talking about, I wonder what my future is going to hold for me, is going, to, is, going, is going to be engaging enough. None of it was. None of it was. Yeah, those are my thoughts on The Haunting of Sharon Tate. I hope that you guys enjoyed this episode. I feel super weird having to talk on my own. I hope what I was saying made sense, was cohesive. Um, I hope you know, I wasn't just kind of like erratically talking for an hour straight. Thank you guys so much for listening. Um, make sure you follow our podcast on Spaghetti Fiction Pod and Spaghetti Fick Pod on Twitter. Spaghetti Fiction Pods on Instagram. Um, you can follow me on um instagram at saint.claire s-a-y-n-t dot c-l-a-i-r-e i post uh things that i'm drawing things that i'm like working on video content um i'm taking a bunch of art classes this semester so you'll be seeing photos of me working on ceramics, on paintings, on printmaking projects. So if you guys are interested in that kind of stuff, go ahead and follow me. Make sure you share this podcast to your friends and your family. You don't have to be a film major or or whatever to or a filmmaker to listen to this podcast. Obviously, um, you know I appreciate you guys always. Um, yeah, so support us on Anchor. FM. All of the links are going to be below in our show notes or wherever the show notes are on wherever you're listening to this. And thank you guys so much, and we will talk to you next time. Bye. Once again, I would love to thank all of the listeners of today's episode. I would also love to thank Nate, a friend of the podcast, who did the opening intro for our episode today. You could find him on SoundCloud under the name Raspberry Slush. We will also have his links in the show notes if you want to listen to more of his stuff. Thank you so much for tuning in.